Have you ever thought of the word up? Just two letters, U and P. Just two letters, yet this two-letter word has more meaning than most other words in the English language. Now, according to the dictionary, this tiny two-letter word can be an adverb, a preposition, an adjective, a noun. It can even be a verb. Now, it's easy to understand up, meaning toward the sky or at the top of something. But when we awaken in the morning, why do we say that we wake up? At a meeting, why does a topic come up? And why is it up to the secretary to write up a report? Why do we speak up? And why are the officers up for election? And if there's a tie, why is it called a toss-up? We call up our friends, we brighten up a room, polish up the silverware, we warm up the leftovers, we clean up the kitchen, we lock up the house, and we lock up the car and fix up the car. Uh, people stir up trouble, line up for tickets, they work up an appetite, think up excuses. Now, be, to be dressed is one thing, but when you're dressed up, that's quite another thing altogether. So this word up can be confusing because a drain must be opened up because it's been blocked up. We open up a store in the morning, we close up the store at night. And when it threatens to rain, we say that it's clouding up, yet when the sun comes out, we say it's clearing up. When it rains, the earth soaks it up, but when it doesn't rain, things dry up. We seem to be pretty mixed up about up. I mean, look up the word up in the dictionary. It can take up about a quarter of the page and add up to about 30 definitions. Now, if you're up to it, you might try building up a list of the many ways up is used. It will take up a lot of your time, but if you don't give up, you may wind up with up to 100 or more definitions. I mean, I could go on, but I'll wrap it up because my time is up and some of you are wishing I would shush up. I say all that to say this. What the word up is to the realm of the English language, a proverb is to the realm of wisdom and knowledge. A proverb is a tiny but powerful thing. A proverb is a tiny clever saying that offers some kind of knowledge. A proverb is not necessarily a promise, it's a probability. A proverb says, all things considered, this is what you can expect Generally speaking, if you do X, you can expect Y and Z to happen. Now, we're in the middle of a series here at Broadway called Ancient Tweets. It's a series where we're studying some of the most famous proverbs assembled by a man named Solomon thousands of years ago. Now, we've called this series Ancient Tweets because that's kind of what they are. If you're older in years, think of a proverb as an ancient bumper sticker, a memorable slogan that catches your attention, maybe makes you think. If you trend a bit younger, think of proverbs as the very first tweets in human history. Proverbs, like the word up, are tiny but powerful things. Now, the proverb that we're going to look into today is found in the fourth chapter of the book of Proverbs. It's Proverbs 4.23. says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, that is one powerful piece of advice. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, let's take a moment and mine as much truth from this as we can. Now, what was Solomon referring to when he used the word heart? Now, first of all, whatever it is, we are instructed to guard it, so it must be extremely valuable. 
In our neighborhood, every Friday is garbage day. That means that every Thursday evening, I receive an email reminder from the city to put our garbage bin out on the street to be emptied the next morning. So that's exactly what I do. I fill up the bin and I roll it out to the curb. Now, do you know what I do not do every Thursday evening? I do not sit on our front porch and guard our garbage bin. I do not aim security cameras at our garbage bin. If you want what's in our garbage bin, have at her. You can have it. I could not care less about what happens to the contents of our garbage bin. And why is that? Because it's garbage, that's why. And garbage, by definition, is something that is deemed to be worthless. Now, contrast what's kept in our garbage bin with what's kept in our garage. In our garage, you'll find all kinds of tools and sporting equipment, lawn chairs, exercise equipment. You'll even find a vehicle. Now, there are some valuable items in there, and that is why we keep the garage door closed and locked. Now contrast what's kept in our garage with what's kept in our house. In our house, you'll find all kinds of electronic devices, appliances, clothing, furniture, jewelry, dishes, cutlery. As well, under the mattress in our bedroom, we keep about $50,000 in cash for emergencies. Actually, I guess I shouldn't say that. Make sure that gets edited out of the final thing, okay? Okay. Now, obviously, the things in our house are more valuable than the things in our garage. That's why our house has the extra layer of protection of a security system. Senses are attached to every door and to every window. Okay, let's take things now to even a higher level. Let's contrast what's in our garbage and in our garage and in our house to what's in our bank. When Broadway Church issues me a paycheck, it's directly deposited into our bank where it is guarded with the highest level of security known to the banking industry. From the garbage to the garage to the house to the bank, the more valuable the object, the more care we take to guard it. With that in mind, turn back to today's proverb. Above all else, guard your heart. So whatever care you take to guard your garage, whatever care you take to guard your home, whatever care you take to guard your finances, all of these efforts should pale in comparison to the care you take to guard your heart. And by the way, that's coming from the wealthiest man in the world at the time he wrote this. Okay. Clearly, the heart is extremely valuable. So what is it? When Solomon tells us to guard our hearts, what exactly is he telling us to guard? Now, before I answer that question, before I fill in the next blank on your outline, let me tell you what Solomon is not referring to when he says guard your heart. Solomon is not referring to the physical organ tucked behind your ribcage. That is not what the word heart means in ancient Hebrew literature. Solomon was not saying, above all else, watch your cholesterol and do some cardio now and then. When Solomon said to guard your heart above all else, he was referencing something completely different. Heart is the biblical term for the source of our deepest thoughts, desires, and decisions. I'll say that again. The heart is the biblical term for the deepest source of thoughts, desires, and decisions. In 21st century Western culture, we view the heart as the symbol for romance, for strong emotions, and for love. 
For example, we send Valentine cards out and, and they have hearts on them. And when you get a card with a heart on it, you think, they love me. This person loves me. And when we have love songs, we talk about, you're in my heart. I love you with all my heart. Now, when we say and sing such things, we know that the physical organ in our chest is not the actual source of these feelings. It's just the symbol we use when we're talking about passionate feelings. That's us. But for the ancient Hebrew mind, the heart was not the symbol for those things. The bowels were. In ancient times, when you'd get a Valentine card, if you can think in these terms, you wouldn't have a card with a heart. You'd have a card with intestines on it saying, oh, I love you so much, or, or a colon on it. Now, if you think about it, that's where you often physically feel these intense feelings, isn't it? It's in your stomach, it's in your gut that you feel these deep emotions. There's a hidden example of this reality in the New Testament. It's hidden because you only see it when you read the New Testament in the language it was originally written in, which was ancient Greek. Now, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a letter where he pleaded with his readers, expressing his deep affection for them. He wrote this. He said, we are not withholding our affection from you, but you're withholding yours from us. He wrote that in 2 Corinthians 6.12. Now, that's what he wrote, but strictly speaking, that's not exactly what he wrote. The Bible translators put Paul's 2,000-year-old words in today's context. What Paul literally wrote was this. He literally wrote, We are not withholding our bowels from you, but you're withholding yours from us. Paul was saying, Come on, Corinthians, I'm offering my bowels to you. Don't leave me standing here all by myself with my intestines in my hand. Offer your intestines to me as well. They said bowels, we say heart, potato, potato. It's a cultural thing. So then, for the Hebrew mind, the heart was not the symbolic source of, of, of emotions. No, for the Hebrew mind, the heart was the source of our deepest thoughts, desires, and decisions. It's all right there in this proverb. Look again at it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You see that? God once declared, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God was saying, people see what's on the surface, but I see to the very core of your existence. I see what you think. I see what you feel. I see what you value. I see what you desire. I see the very center of your being. To the Hebrew mind, the heart was the command and control center of your life. Essentially, your heart is the real you. It's who and what you truly are. When you think about it, the Bible is essentially a history of God's pursuit of the human heart. For example, when you look at Scripture, the heart was created pure. It was created pure. The Bible says God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. In other words, the heart begins, God creates us. The, the command and control center of our lives as pure. It was created pure because God looked at what he had created, you and I, with our new hearts, and he said, this is good. This is very good. So what happened? Well, when you follow the history in Scripture, it then became polluted. It became polluted. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
The prophet Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So it was created pure, but something happened. We rebelled against God and it became corrupted. It became polluted. And now it's, it's not dependable. Now it's wandered off in all sorts of different directions. That's what the Bible calls sin. The word sin in the original language literally means to miss the mark, to fall short, to aim for a bullseye, but not hit the bullseye, not even hit the target in some cases. That's what sin means. And it's the result of having a corrupt heart. Well, when you follow the history in scripture, it now has been offered cleansing. It has been offered cleansing. More than six centuries before Jesus walked the earth, God spoke this through the prophet Ezekiel. God said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now listen, this is sort of an ancient metaphor, this heart of stone, heart of flesh kind of a thing. So in other words, God says, you have a heart of stone now. Think of like a loaf of bread that you leave out on the counter for a day or two. It's gone from being soft and pliable to hard and solid and unusable. God says, that's what your hearts have become like. They were created soft and pliable and responsive to me, but now sin has destroyed them. Now they're hard, they're not moldable, and I don't mean mold in the bad sense, I mean mold in the good sense, pliable. Your hearts have now become unable to respond to me. They're hard, they're useless. And God says, I'm gonna take that old lump of hardened heart in your life, I'm gonna remove it. I'm gonna give you a new heart of flesh, a new soft heart that is responsive to my presence. So then God took on the form of humanity in the man Jesus of Nazareth. And through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God finally did what he promised he would do through the words of Ezekiel. God cleansed us of our sin and he gave us new hearts and new starts. If we confess our sins, the Bible says, he is faithful and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's what it means to follow Jesus, by the way. To follow Jesus means to actually accept his gift of forgiveness that he purchased through his life, death, and resurrection. To invite his presence into your life where he gives you a new heart, a new spirit, a new soft, responsive spirit in the presence of God. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to have that relationship with him, to be forgiven and cleansed and be given a new heart. Have you experienced this yet? If you haven't, at the end of today's teaching, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that very thing, to accept the gift of God's forgiveness and new life. Okay, let's do a quick review. The advice in today's ancient tweet is straightforward and powerful. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, what is the heart? We've learned it's the biblical code for the command and control center of our lives. And it is so valuable that we're told to guard it above everything else. Now, practically speaking, how do I do this? Practically speaking, how can I guard my heart? Well, if you read what Solomon goes on to say immediately after today's proverb, after today's verse, he gives us some very practical advice. He says here, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of, or for everything you do flows from it. He then says, keep your mouth free of perversity. 
Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. What can I do to guard my heart? Solomon informs us that there are three key areas we need to pay attention to. Think in these terms. If your heart had a security system, Solomon lists three key places that would need to be monitored. Three key areas where evil could potentially gain entry into your life. The first potential entry point for evil is what you say. He said, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep your corrupt talk far from your lips. Now, for the biblical writers, the tongue was a powerful thing. Listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, said regarding the things we say. James said, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. Do you know what James is referring to? Have you ever talked yourself into trouble? Stories told of two complete strangers standing at a crowded bus stop, and they start chatting. The first man says, so tell me, where are you from? And the second man says, well, I'm actually from Thunder Bay, Ontario. Thunder Bay, the other guy says, only ugly women and hockey players come from Thunder Bay. Suddenly, this big muscle-bound giant of a man steps forward from the crowd and says, hey, buddy, my wife is from Thunder Bay. The guy turns to him and says, really, what hockey team did she play for? I'm sure we could all tell stories of moments in our lives when our tongues got us into trouble, when foolish or corrupt talk poisoned our lives as well as the lives of those around us. How can you guard your heart? The first thing you can do, according to Solomon, is watch what you say. A second potential entry point for evil is what you see. Solomon says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. It's funny what you remember from your childhood. I don't remember a lot of things I learned in my preschool days, but I can still remember a song that they taught us way back in my earliest Sunday school class. It goes like this. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a father up above and he's looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. We were singing what Solomon was saying. He said, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Solomon is saying, keep your eyes from looking where they shouldn't be looking. Wandering eyes lead to wandering hearts. If you're a fan of horse racing, you know that trainers often put blinkers on the eyes of a horse. Now, I know, I know. Some of you are thinking to yourself, Darren, they're called blinders. They're not called blinkers. I thought the same thing but they're properly referred to as blinkers. Look it up, don't email me. Blinkers are small shields that allow a horse to only see what is straight ahead of them. This keeps the horse focused. Well, Solomon is telling us that one way to guard your heart is to have our own set of mental blinkers on. 
Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Last Sunday, Pastor Nathan did an excellent in-depth teaching on this subject. If you missed it, check it out. Finally, the third potential entry point for evil that Solomon highlights is what you do. He says, give careful thought to the paths uh, for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Now, this third area is really the last line of defense if you have allowed evil to crash through the first two. Once you've allowed evil to infiltrate what you say and what you see, you are set up to experience evil in what you actually do. In a way, it's the pattern of the original sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. After listening to the corrupt words of the enemy, their eyes then saw the forbidden fruit in a new covetous light. And this positioned them to then act out the evil that the words and their eyes had imagined. Solomon is saying that you can minimize the damage that evil does to your heart by watching what you do. Resist the temptation to act upon the evil thoughts and desires that have infiltrated your heart. When you do what is evil, you multiply evil. In fact, doing evil is like rolling a snowball down a hill. The evil just gets faster, then larger, and harder to stop. If you want to guard your heart from evil, watch what you do. Well, let's conclude. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. It's today's ancient tweet, and it's an excellent piece of advice. Your heart is the core of your existence. Your heart is the real you. It's the command and control center of your being. It steers your life. Solomon says you should guard it with everything that you have. And that brings us to today's big idea where we sum up the teaching. The more you protect what is truly valuable, the more you will project what is truly valuable. The more you protect what is truly valuable, the more you'll project what is truly valuable. In other words, the purer the heart, the purer the actions. The purer the source of your decisions, the purer the state of your deeds. The more you protect what is truly valuable, the more you will project what is truly valuable. Above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because everything you do flows from it. Now, I realize that I'm speaking to two different groups of people today. First, let me address those who consider themselves to be followers of Jesus. In our final moment together, I invite you to look within. Pause right now and take an honest look at the quality of the life that you're living today. Are you at peace with who you are? Do you feel good about what your life is projecting to the world around you? If you don't have peace, if you don't feel good, chances are it's because you have failed to guard your heart. Because the more you protect what's truly valuable in life, the more you're going to project what's truly valuable in life. When was the last time you were completely honest with God regarding the condition of your heart? When was the last time you were honest before him regarding what you have allowed to happen within you? Listen, don't be afraid to do this, to be honest with him. He already knows the state of your heart, and he is more than willing to help you and to heal you. He's just waiting for you to acknowledge what he already sees. Why not take some time today and 
do a, a heart inventory. Maybe go for a walk or, or go for a drive. Find a place where you can be alone with your thoughts and alone with God. Look at some ways that you can better address what you're saying, what you're seeing, and what you're doing. Finally, let me speak to those out there who are not yet followers of Jesus. Your problem is different from the problem of those I have just addressed. Your issue isn't that your heart needs repairing. Your issue is that your heart needs replacing. And that is what Jesus came to do. He came to replace your old heart of stone and give you that new heart of flesh, a heart that's soft and responsive to the presence of God, a heart that's alive, a heart that is filled with fresh joy, fresh hope, and fresh peace. Do you need a new heart? Would you like a fresh start in life? If that's you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to experience that very thing right now. Let's pray together. Would you pray with me? God, I offer you my heart. It's hardened, it's stale, it's dry, it's dead. I acknowledge the state of my heart. I have rebelled against you. I've wandered from you. And I choose today to accept your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. You've offered me this gift. I choose to accept it based on what Jesus said, what Jesus did on my behalf. I don't claim to understand it all, but I choose to take you at your word. I choose to act on what I do understand. So I accept your gift of forgiveness as purchased by Jesus. I turn my back on that old way of living and I turn to you and to your throne. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your grace. Change my heart from the inside out. And God, would you give me the courage to act on this decision right now? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, on the screen right now there's a number that you can text. Let that person know. That's one of our staff will be on the other end of that text number. Let them know the decision you've made. Now, understand this. We're not tricking you. You're not going to be put on a mailing list. You're not joining Broadway Church. But they'll help you take the next step in your journey, offer you advice, and give you some wisdom on some wise next steps to take. God bless you, Broadway Church. Thank you for being with us today. I hope you join us again next week when we'll continue in our Ancient Tweets summer series. God bless you.